Open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon us and show us Thy Son. We pray in His name for Your glory through Him, for His honor and praise, and for the profit of our souls. Amen. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. I want to tell you in a few minutes before the Lord's Supper about the transcendent cross. The transcendent cross. This word is my word because it means preeminence and excellence and greatness and glory. Transcendent means that something is surpassing or excelling others of its kind, going beyond the ordinary limits. Preeminent, superior or supreme, extraordinary, surmounting or rising above, excelling, surpassing eminence or excellence. The transcendent cross. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ rises above and surmounts and is superior and supreme, surpassing all other thoughts, concepts, deeds, events, or transactions that we can know about. The Apostle Paul, in this verse, tells us that God forbid it would be a horrible thing if we were to glory in anything but the cross of Christ. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. The cross of Jesus Christ rises above all other ideas, events, or transactions in surpassing eminence. His death is the focal point of divine superiority and excelling excellence over all persons or things. There is nothing you should learn first or love more than the Son of God's death on a Roman cross. All other human learning and all efforts or accomplishments disappear fast into a cesspool of failure compared to this cross. Without the cross, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, of Nazareth is the incarnate Son of God without purpose for His life. Without Jesus Christ on it, the cross is a simple wooden torture and execution device of the Romans. Your life is full or frustrated, joyful or jaded, energized or empty, based on your view of the transcendent cross. This is one of the statements in the Bible of the transcendence of Jesus Christ's cross, that it's greater 
than everything and anything else. Because the apostles said that he gloried in it and that God would forbid or keep him from glorying in anything else. There are five parts to the verse. But God forbid. That's God's rejection of us neglecting His Son to admire something else in life. God forbid. That's the strongest negative in the Bible. May it warn us about neglecting or rejecting His cross being the center of our church and our lives, our hearts and our minds. It describes the action of glory in this verse. But God forbid that I should glory. This glory is a verb here. And it means to be exalted and excited, thrilled and delighting in something. And so it's describing a verb that ought to be true of each one of us, especially as we come to the Lord's table, that we delight and exalt, that's E-X-U-L-T, in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It gives us the object. It's not the manger. It's not His baptism. It's the cross of Christ. It's not even His resurrection. It's not even His ascension. And you know those things are dear to your pastor. It is the cross of Christ. And it changes our worldview. The Apostle Paul said, By whom the world is crucified unto me. It is put to a shameful and ugly death to the Apostle Paul. He no longer cared for it at all, and they no longer cared for him at all. When we love the cross of Christ, we will despise and hate the world, and the world will despise and hate us. It has been recently manifested, and it has always been manifested with the preaching of the cross It makes a division among men. I want to preach the cross of Christ every service until all of you who do not love the cross of Christ leave our church so that all that are left are those that truly love the cross of Christ. You shouldn't be here for any other reason. When Jesus was on earth and when He was preached, whether He was preaching or His apostles preaching, It caused a division among the people. And the cross of Christ will do that. It's the foolishness of the preaching of the cross of Christ that drives men of this world crazy. Let it be so. Let us love that cross. The world, pick any desirable aspect of the world, was put to shameful death by valuing the cross where it belongs. The world's ignorance no matter how intellectual or educated, despise Paul for preaching the cross of Christ. How much do you fulfill these five parts of Galatians 6.14? God forbid the honor and integrity of God the Father and His love for His Son is at stake if you neglect or reject His Son. We're not talking about some mental ascent to His existence. We're talking about an embracing of Him and a loving of Him and a delighting in that cross and an exploring of everything there is to learn about the cross till it changes your life and lifts your heart and mind to be filled with all the fullness of God. That is what we are talking about. That is what drove the Apostle Paul. That is what motivated his prayer for the church at Ephesus. 
in Ephesians chapter 3. How much do you fulfill the five parts of this verse? Is God forbidding you in heaven and has not yet judged you for neglecting His Son? Do you glory in the cross? Has it changed your worldview? Has it changed the world's view of you? What excites you? What fascinates you? What humbles you? What moves you? God and Jesus Christ see what excites, fascinates, humbles, and moves you. And there is a God in heaven that understands all of the distinctions of glorying in other things. The epistle that we're studying right now in Second Peter, the apostle, the apostle that we're studying who wrote that epistle, once had the brilliant idea of setting up three tabernacles. One for Moses, and one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. And God thundered from heaven, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. Moses and Elijah don't even count in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that verse again before we leave it. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. That is a wonderful relationship. Hating the world, the world hating us, us glorying in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and God being pleased with it. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is another transcendent statement. Remember, transcendent means something that surpasses or excels others of its kind, that goes beyond ordinary limits, that rises and goes above other things, that is superior or supreme, surmounting and excelling and surpassing all other things, the transcendent cross. Here we have the apostle describing his preaching to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2. We'll limit ourselves to verse 2. For I determined... This is a choice that churches and pastors make. And it is a choice that God has led me to make for you today. And I hope that all of your souls are united with me in wanting to hear about the cross of Christ before we come to His table. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There is the cross again. It is to preach the cross of Christ, the death of Christ, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul determined not to know anything. This learned, educated, and eloquent man could have entertained audiences wherever he went. But he determined one subject matter would be preeminent. One subject matter would be transcendent. And it would be the cross of Jesus Christ. Of all the great themes and topics of Holy Scripture, there is one superior to the rest. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look back just a few verses into chapter 1, market preferences were known. What the world wanted to hear was known to the Apostle Paul. It was known to God. 
Verse 22 of chapter 1, For the Jews require a sign. Could the Apostle Paul have given them signs till it came out their ears? Could he have dumbfounded them with signs? He could have overwhelmed them with signs. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. Could the Apostle Paul with personal training by the Lord Jesus Christ for three years have overwhelmed the Greeks with wisdom? Yes, he could have. What did he give them? The wisdom of God, which is the preaching of the cross of Christ. Because verse 23 tells us, but we preach Christ crucified. That is the cross of Christ. Unto the Jews, that message is a stumbling block because it doesn't give them the signs they're looking for. And unto the Greeks, foolishness. Because a God dying didn't make any sense to those benighted, ignorant philosophers of Greece. These two statements are transcendent statements about the cross. What content do you most desire? And what savour do you produce that is visible? What content do you want in our church? What savour, what aroma goes up from you when Christ is preached? Because the preaching of Christ's cross causes us to always triumph. It will either be the savour of death unto death or life unto life. Lord God, have mercy upon us. We want to send a sweet aroma into heaven that we love Your Son and Him crucified, risen, reigning, and returning. Help us, Lord. The transcendent cross reveals transcendent wisdom. The preaching of Jesus Christ's cross is the power and wisdom of God. Notice that in verse 23, contrary to the market demands of verse 22, of what the Jews and the Greeks wanted, Paul preached what they didn't want. Christ crucified. Because then when a person believes what they would not ordinarily by nature want, It shows the power of God in their lives. And it comes to verse 24, that verse 23 tells us that preaching Christ crucified, the Jews stumbled over it, the Greeks despised it. Verse 24, but unto them which are called. Remember, this morning we learned how to make our calling and election sure. But unto them that are called, this means unto them that are elect, unto them that are regenerated, both Jews and Greeks, because God has saved some of both kinds, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. It's transcendent wisdom for the drama of the universe whose focal point is the cross of Christ 2,000 years ago. It's transcendent wisdom. And everyone that is elect and truly regenerated by the grace of God knows that fact. When they hear the preaching of Christ crucified, they embrace it as the power of God and the wisdom of God. Do you embrace it that way? Let us embrace it more that way than we ever have before. Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 7 and 8 show us this about transcendent wisdom. Speaking of our election in Jesus Christ, who has made us accepted before God, we read in verse 7, 
in whom we have redemption through His blood. His blood came and was shed because of the cross. The forgiveness of sins we have according to the riches of His grace wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. In Isaiah 52, leading up with an introduction to Isaiah 53, it says, Behold, my servant shall deal very prudently. The cross of Christ is the greatest display of wisdom in the universe. What other wisdom can you even think of to compare it to the cross of Christ and God our Father arranging for us a salvation that is stupendous and transcendent in its value and accomplishments. You know, in the Bible, and we write of these things in our commentaries on Proverbs, in the Bible, much ado is made about the wisdom of God in creation. Are you kidding me? Wisdom? in piling up sand to make Mount Everest and carving out the Mariana Trench in the Pacific compared to the cross of Christ? It doesn't compare. It doesn't compare. Is it wisdom? Indeed it is wisdom. God possessed all wisdom from the beginning. And everything He created is created in wisdom. But the greatest display of His wisdom, the transcendent display of His wisdom, is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He formed His Son's body and human nature in the womb of a virgin. And as our brother James read to us from Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus was on that cross, the powerful events that were taking place around it show the great power and wisdom of God in the cross of Calvary. More could be said on every one of these points. The cross of Christ is transcendent knowledge. Wisdom is the power of right judgment. Knowledge is knowing and grasping the facts. The facts of Jesus Christ are transcendent knowledge. They surpass all other human learning. All other human efforts or accomplishments disappear in abject failure. Nothing matters compared to the cross of Christ. Jesus Christ's love for you demonstrated on the cross, according to Ephesians 3.19, passes knowledge. Now how much knowledge is that when it passes knowledge? It's knowledge that we want to attain. It's knowledge of the full dimensions of Christ's love for us. There is no other knowledge of any kind that can compare favorably in any degree to the cross of Christ. All philosophy... All politics, all religion are answered and exceeded by Jesus Christ's cross. There is no intellectual pursuit of any kind that compares to looking at the cross of Christ and realizing what is embodied in that transaction that took place 2,000 years ago. Do not be deceived by this information era to pursue or think upon vain knowledge that will do you no good and will distract your mind from that knowledge that counts. And the knowledge that counts is the transcendent knowledge of Christ's cross. Peter should know. He saw it happen. 
And so he wrote his second epistle filled with that word of knowledge about us growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is my desire for you. That is Peter's desire for you. That is our Lord's desire for you. This knowledge that's transcendent, Paul saw it. In Philippians 3, 8-11, he said that I might know Him. We would say that Paul knew Jesus Christ better than any man. But he said that I might know Him. This is transcendent knowledge. Some of you are going to school. You apply great effort to learn things that are very insignificant compared to the cross of Christ. Think about the time. Think about the effort. Think about the thrill as you learn something new. And then think about the cross of Christ. It crushes it. It annihilates it. It crucifies it in comparison. Will you follow very quickly with me this knowledge pyramid? There's basic unbelief of all men. The Bible says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. This is most men due to their inherited depravity and rebellious nature against God. It's basic unbelief of even the existence of God, though He has revealed Himself to them. Then there's creation knowledge. The Bible tells us the heavens declare the glory of God. And we're coming up this pyramid of knowledge to an apex. There's creation knowledge. We go out and we look at the sun, we look at the moon, we look at the stars, we look at hummingbirds and roses. And God is revealed to us by things that are seen. We see His providence in filling our our bellies with food and our hearts with gladness in a good day when you get a promotion and God smiles upon you with nice weather. Acts 14, Matthew 5, both describe this. This is knowledge by providence. Then there's conscience knowledge. God's laws revealed by His candle in our hearts. Taught to us in Romans 2 and the candle of the Lord in Proverbs chapter 20. Then there's Scripture knowledge. Unbelief. Creation. Providence. Conscience. Then we get to the Bible, but we're only at the fifth tier. And we have many to go. The fifth tier is Bible knowledge. The Pharisees wore the Scriptures on their foreheads and wore them on their arms. And Jesus said, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. Scripture knowledge. Men that are not regenerated can learn the Bible and miss the Christ and cross of the Bible. Then there's regenerated knowledge. New life with the Spirit can cry out, Abba, Father! By regeneration. There's conversion knowledge. Hearing the truth of Christ to a lesser degree, where the apostle would write of such in Hebrews chapter 5, that when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again. That though they had been taught, though they were regenerated, though they had the Bible, and though they had been converted, their knowledge had not progressed to the degree that it should have. Then there is advanced knowledge, like Peter described in Second Peter chapter 3, that we would grow in grace in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there is experiential knowledge of how Paul wanted to know Christ. And then there is the capstone, perfect knowledge of Christ through the Holy Spirit displaying to us the, the full dimensions of His love until we are filled with all the fullness of God. 
It is perfect knowledge as much as we can have perfect knowledge in this world. And the Holy Spirit is the divine power able to show it to us that we must pray for, for divine power with our inner man, that we would be strengthened in that inner man until we understood the the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God for us. We live in a sick age that is obsessed and irreverent and foolish with information. Because of social media, everyone wants to express their opinion on everything without respect or due regard for study. There is so much thrown at us every day. Any field of study that you pursue, the amount of information now thrown at you will overwhelm you. And you will be thinking and worrying about things that no one else in the past even knew about, let alone worried about. There's only one thing that we should really crave to know better and to have it affect our lives more, and that is the cross of Christ. It is transcendent knowledge. It is transcendent mercy. The God of this world blinds most men to miss Christ's gospel. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And to miss Christ's cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. The gospel's not going to help very many that are lost if it's hid to them, is it? But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. But notice what comes next. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Paul didn't preach about himself. The apostles didn't preach about themselves. They had one person to preach about, Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. Now look at the difference. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness in Genesis chapter 1, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is a powerful, glorious statement That when God said, let there be light, and there was light in Genesis chapter 1, He has said, let there be light, and there has been light shown in our hearts, whereby we see the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, who hung on the transcendent cross, and this is transcendent mercy. This is a transcendent religion. All other religions are vanity and vexation, of the highest magnitude in comparison. The Hindus want to exalt reincarnation so that you get to die over and over and over again. Isn't that a wonderful religion in comparison to the transcendent religion that we have? To even compare the devil's caricatures to Christ's cross is to demean God in Christ. And so we want to be careful not even to stoop to such low levels. Compare even the Jehovah's, compare even our God Jehovah's Old Testament religion. Jesus Christ and His cross fulfilled it and destroyed it. He nailed it to His cross. The world's largest religion, Catholicism, ruins the cross by Marian sacramentalism. 
They have her as a co-mediatrix. There is no co-anyone on the cross. By Himself He purged our sins and sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. The world's second largest religion, Islam, must deny in the Quran that Jesus even died because it would overwhelm their ridiculous religion. He, he only swooned in the Quran. But Jesus died. And every testimony of history, whether it be Greek historians or Roman historians, every testimony of Roman crucifixion, every testimony of what the Bible says, of them checking those two thieves and Jesus on the cross at the end, He was dead. The whole Christian religion, which crushes the religion of Islam, knows that Jesus died. Theology, or the science or knowledge of God, is determined by our Christology. The science or knowledge of Christ. The cross of Christ reflects God's holiness, His wrath, His love, His mercy, all in a grand display. And it's all at the cross. Transcendent religion. Transcendent parties. The Lord Jehovah, I am that I am, God and Father of Jesus Christ, planned and purposed the cross. The dreadful and terrible God of holiness and wrath, bruised and punished His Son. Jesus Christ, the Word of God in the flesh, Emmanuel, willingly underwent the cross. The transaction was so severe, their inviolate relationship went asunder by your sins. Transcendent parties and effect. You were not friends of this God or Christ, but enemies by wicked works. You were willing and eager captives and servants of God's enemy, the devil himself. The parties to the transaction. The transcendent love. God commended His love by giving His Son for all of His elect. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son God's love for us. It's transcendent love that a Creator God would give eternal life by the sacrifice of His Son to rebel enemies. Transcendent love. He loved them with an everlasting love and therefore drew them to Him. Christ loved His own so much and loved them to the end that He willingly gave Himself a death ransom for them. As an example of love to husbands forever. Jesus loved His own sacrificially in Ephesians chapter 5. Herein is love. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The world sings of the greatest love of all is the narcissistic and selfish love of self. There is no love like God's love. For though it is conditional... He has fully paid the conditions Himself, which makes it then unconditional if you need the expression. His love is not hidden, for it shines forth every day, but mostly in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Romans 5.5 5. This is the transcend, transcendent original. There is no other Christ to compare to the Christ that we know. That has taught us. Look at Colossians chapter 2. 
Colossians chapter 2. Transcendent original. Paul warned against any philosophy or tradition of men contrary to Christ. Colossians 2 and verse 8, Beware! Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Let's repudiate everything but Christ and His cross. Let's reject it. Let's be skeptical of it. Let's deny it. Because there are men that will rise even in our church. There are doctrines that have risen in the last 2,000 years of our Lord's kingdom that have brought questionable ideas, heretical ideas against the cross of Christ. Verse 9, Why don't we ever want to move from Christ? For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in Him. So what else do we need? We, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and we are complete in Him. When Jesus cried, it is finished, He spoke of the work of His cross to redeem you, and you are complete in Him. It's a transcendent transaction. He made an open show of the devil and destroyed him. According to the prophecy as early as Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, that he, the male seed of the woman, shall bruise your head, Satan. He ripped the veil of the temple and ended the Old Testament ceremonial law by nailing it to his cross. In the very place where God was unapproachable by a veil, it was torn from top to bottom. And God made peace there in Haggai 2, 6-9, through 9, that the glory of the latter house would exceed the glory of the former house of Solomon because Jesus was there, and when He died on the cross, it affected the furniture of that place. Right. And it was at the time of the evening sacrifice when the high priest would have been present to hear a ripping sound you've never heard unless you've been out in the yard and had lightning land five feet away. And that sound like the tearing of canvas, except it would have been greater because you've never heard canvas torn that is four inches thick. What a transcendent transaction. It's described as a shaking of the heavens and the earth because it shook away the old covenant, the religion of Jehovah Himself to bring in what we're doing today. From the Passover. Do you remember the Passover? They painted the blood of a lamb, kept up very carefully according to specific rules, over their doorway. And when the Lord's death angel passed through the land that night, He saw the blood and He passed over them. But Jesus' cross is the infinite fulfillment of that that in the great day of judgment, forget about getting out of Egypt. So who cares if you're buried in, buried in the wilderness outside the Jordan River or buried in Egypt in comparison to the great day of judgment and having God pass over you because of the blood of His cross. The transaction was so transcendent as Daniel read to you a few minutes ago from Philippians chapter 2 that God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess, whether they be knees and tongues in heaven, in earth, or under the earth. That is a transcendent transaction. None of you have ever been involved in a transaction, nor I, 
that anyone else in the church or anyone else anywhere even cares about. This is a transcendent transaction. The League of Nations and other little games that men and nations play is nothing in comparison to this cross of Christ. Transcendent value. Zerubbabel's temple was inferior to Solomon's, but its glory was greater. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former. The prophet Haggai told Zerubbabel, the blood that was shed on that cross was the blood of the everlasting covenant. The everlasting covenant between God and Christ for His elect. He made peace by the blood of His cross of all things in heaven and in earth. When Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, there had been 4,000 years of world history already and millions of God's elect stood in heaven waiting for their legal sacrifice to be paid in the cross of Calvary. Because Jesus died for the sins that were passed under the law of God and the sin of Adam for all of His elect. He died for all the sins present, all the sins future. What a transaction and what value the cross has. It is the incontrovertibly great basis for the mystery of godliness. His cross is in every one of the six phrases in 1 Timothy 3.16. God was manifest in the flesh. Why was He manifest in the flesh? In order to die on the cross. Justified in the Spirit. What does that mean? Raised from the dead after dying on the cross. Seen of angels. When was He seen of angels? When He was in the garden of Gethsemane before the cross. Preached unto the Gentiles. What did they preach? Christ crucified. Believed on in the world. What was believed? Jesus died for me. Ascended up into heaven. How did He ascend up into glory? Because He had finished His work. And they burst forth into singing about His death on the cross. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, and He was slain on a cross. The cross is under everything, though it is not mentioned in 1 Timothy 3.16. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. And how did He do that? He died on the cross. Jesus ascended up to take the book out of the right hand of Him that sits on the throne. And then those three choirs began to sing His praise. The praise of the Lamb and Lion of the tribe of Judah because He had died on the cross. A new and living way was opened in heaven to go into the presence of God for all of us. Brethren, the transaction, the value of that transaction was so transcendent. The Bible says in Psalm 5.5, The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. If you're all honest with me, and I ask the question, who's a fool here? We would all have to raise our hand. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. If I were to ask who's a worker of iniquity, we would all have to raise our hand. We are fools. We cannot stand in his sight. He hates all workers of iniquity. How shall we ever stand but by the value of the transaction of the transcendent cross? Transcendent events. Brother James, you got to read Matthew 27 to us. It was a privilege, brother. And I know you know that. and We all know that with you. There was darkness over the land for three hours. Darkness over the land for three hours. Eclipses don't last for three hours. And eclipses I've never seen make darkness. You know, when light is reduced from 100% to 99.5, I'm not impressed. 
but darkness covered the land. And lest I distract you, I probably shouldn't tell you, but there are historical records of a pagan philosopher in Egypt that said, with the darkness that covered the land in that hemisphere, it couldn't happen on the other side of the earth. I hope you can all understand that. The deity weeps for himself or one that he loves. But forget it, it's not in the Bible. I want you to go to the next point. It was dark for three hours, and at the end of that darkness, when Jesus cried, it is finished, and gave up the ghost, the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. That is Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. That temple veil was 60 feet tall. This is a 12-foot ceiling at best. Think of it five times this ceiling. 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, the span thick, four inches. The threading was 72 threads woven together, each thread holding 24 threads, being made up of 24 threads put together by 82 seamstresses and manipulated into place by 300 priests. Workhorses could not tear it apart, but Jesus tore it from top to bottom. And it says so. If you didn't know the size of it, what do you think it was? A bed sheet hanging there? In that magnificent temple that Herod had added to until it was a great wonder? Remember the the apostles themselves walking around it with Jesus at the end of His ministry. They had been in it many times, but they still would stop to marvel at the stones of that temple. Do you think it had some bed sheet hanging in there on a little coat hanger? Wire? Ripped. The transcendent events around the cross. There was an earthquake. The rocks were torn by the power of God. You know Psalm 18 where it says that David cried out unto the Lord. Then the Lord heard his cry. Then the earth shook. Are you with me? Psalm 18. David said that when he was fearful for his life, and he had been fearful for his life many times, and he would call upon the Lord, then the earth shook. That's how David described it. But listen, my brethren, this was the Son of David. This was the Son of God. The earth literally shook and the rocks were torn and the rocks were rent and the graves were opened. And when Jesus rose from the dead, the residual power of His cross and His resurrection, they rose with Him. Their souls were reunited with their bodies. They went into the city of Jerusalem and made themselves known. This is the transcendent cross of Christ. The transcendent event of the universe. The transcendent transaction of all time. And we are its beneficiaries. And it has been revealed to us. And God that commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to see the glory of God in this transaction. The demonstration of God's power caused the centurion and his company to declare that this truly was the Son of God. And I want you to know that the transcendent event in, in events of that cross include Jesus saying to the thief, Today thou shalt be in paradise? No. Today thou shalt also be in paradise? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Who else do you want to be with when you're in paradise? That is a transcendent event that a thief that was cursing Jesus one hour 
the next hour says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus responds by saying, Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. With me in paradise. This is my brother. Jesus in paradise. This is my brother. And who is he? The thief that hung on the cross. Because he is not ashamed to call us brethren. That is a transcendent event. There were transcendent results. Jesus said that by being lifted up, he would draw all men to himself. And those are all elect men to be drawn. And we have been drawn by the transcendent power of the cross. Men by faith have been crucified with Christ because Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Paul was considered mad even by Christians. They considered him beside himself. But he told them in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 13 through 15, if I am beside myself, I am beside myself for the cross of Christ. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. Therefore they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him that loved them and gave himself for them. For the love of Christ constraineth me. You call me mad, I'll be mad for the cross of Christ. Peter, preaching Christ's cross on the day of Pentecost, crushed the Jews. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. What was the response? 3,000 men and brethren, what shall we do? Oh, that's wonderful. Philip did the same thing in Samaria. Philip did the same thing with the eunuch in the desert. Peter did the same thing with Cornelius. Paul did the same thing at Antioch, Corinth, Ephesus, and elsewhere. Preaching Christ's cross. And the results were tremendous because it was to be preached to the Gentiles and believed on in the world. And it was. And that mystery is incontrovertibly great. It is transcendent. There are transcendent consequences. My dear brethren, there are transcendent consequences to us. God has declared, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. He says through the Gospel, see His cross and glory in it and nothing else. The consequences are great. We have been given the good news, the glad tidings of Jesus Christ's cross. If we neglect it, if we reject it, we will suffer the consequences because there is a God in heaven jealous for the honor and glory of His Son. And He stopped Peter dead in his tracks when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, even though Peter was going to erect a tabernacle for Jesus because he would even compare Jesus to Moses and Elijah, it was inadequate. Brethren, the consequences are severe. Jesus would say, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is He? They say unto Him, He's the son of David. He said unto them, Then why did David in spirit call Him Lord? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? I am saying to you that Jesus Christ Himself has revealed to you that He is Lord of all and we should live like He is Lord of all. That is what Peter preached in the day of Pentecost. Jesus asked His own apostles, Whom do men 
say that I the Son of Man am? And they gave him several answers. And he said, but whom do you say that I am? And they answered gloriously. And let's answer gloriously. Paul would write, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. The Jews made light of it in Matthew chapter 22. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he destroyed them and burned up their city. If you neglect or reject the Lord Jesus Christ, you crucify Him again, Hebrews chapter 6. And you trod underfoot the Son of God, Hebrews chapter 10. Those passages I fully understand as being applied particularly and preeminently and first to the Jews of the generation of the destruction of Jerusalem. But brethren, if we back away from Christ and if we do not make Him the focal point of our church, the focal point of our lives, the pursuit of our souls, the exploration of our minds, the passion of our hearts, if knowing the cross of Christ does not become preeminent to us and we do not keep it there, then we are neglecting Him and there is a jealous Father in heaven and a Lord Jesus Christ that deserves greater glory and we end up denigrating the cross of Christ and it is transcendent. Baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God and it's observed only once in life. We love the doctrine of baptism. But you only do it once. It's called the answer of a good conscience toward God. It's an emblem of burial, resurrection, ours, our future, His, only done once. This table before us is oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup. You do show the Lord's death till He come. There is a transcendent memorial. And that memorial is right there. And though giving an answer to God is a wonderful doctrine that we embrace as Baptists, the Lord's Supper that we now partake of is a transcendent memorial to be done over and over and over and over again. And it has been done over and over and over again for 2,000 years because by this supper, we remember the cross of Christ the way He wants it to be remembered. We don't have a cross on our steeple because we don't have a steeple. We don't have a cross over our baptistry because we don't have a baptistry. We don't have a cross anywhere in here. And I hope that you're not hanging the sign of a curse around your neck. The cross is revealed to us by the preaching of God's inspired Scriptures by the Spirit, remembered once at baptism, and remembered often as we do it over and over again at the Lord's table. We don't need a necklace. We don't need wall ornaments. We need love for the Christ of His cross. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.